Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to, to find your place there. And if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the pews in front of you. Uh, feel free to use that today. And if you don't have a Bible at all, feel free to take that home with you today. That is our gift to you. And uh, we pray you take it home and you read it, and that it also change your life. Uh, there's power in God's Word. But Acts chapter 16, we're picking up, is Paul's second missionary journey. That is what is in the process. That is our context today. And we begin with verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. That's speaking of the Jerusalem Council, uh, that letter that was written by the church that affirmed that salvation is by grace alone. So that's what they're speaking of in verse 4. Then in verse 5, it says this, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you please open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart as we've sung already. Um, but Lord, open our eyes to your wonderful word. And Lord, I pray that we will be able to understand your word. I pray that it will be simple. I pray that it will be clear. Uh, but God, I pray that it will be powerful. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will, will preach today uh, to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that be, we'll be able to take this word home with us and, and use the truths and the wisdom that is gained today. Father, I pray that we not only be hearers of the word, but doers. So help us in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. Well, as I've already mentioned, today's passage includes the early stages of Paul's second missionary journey. But there's a, an idea, there's something that is seen throughout this text that I want to talk about today. And that is what is known as spiritual discernment. 
spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment is this, if you're taking notes. It's being able to make wise judgments based on God's truth and the leading of the Holy Spirit. In fact, your pastor would argue this. I believe spiritual discernment is synonymous with biblical discernment. Because the Spirit of God is always going to be in harmony, is never going to contradict the Word of God. This type of discernment, I know we've heard of the gift of discernment, we see that in Corinthians, but what I'm speaking of today, this type of spiritual discernment is not reserved for the super-Christians. It's not reserved for those, those super-holy, holy, holy people. This type of discernment is available for all believers. In fact, we need this type of discernment to please the Lord with our lives and also be effective in Christian service. Therefore, I want us to look at this episode of Paul's life, this second missionary journey, and I want us to see how spiritual discernment was used and how it guided his decision-making process. We first see, number one, discernment in people. Discernment in people. Paul knew how to make sound judgments when it came to people. We've seen this already in chapter 15 with the, the John Mark incident. You know about the John Mark incident. It caused two close friends in the Lord to go their separate ways. But I believe Paul made the wise judgment in not bringing John Mark along the second journey. We proved it ended up playing out well in the long run because later John Mark would be useful for ministry. But the way uh, that John Mark deserted them on the first journey and the way that Paul was feeling during that time, if John Mark would have gone on that journey, you know what would have happened later on in the mission field? Drama. Drama and division. And those are the, the two bugaboos we do not want on a mission trip. Those seem to be the things that like to creep up on a mission trip, by the way. So those of you who are planning on going to, to Guatemala and uh, Alaska, you better pray up and leave your drama at the house. Okay? All right. That wasn't in my manuscript. Um, let me get back. Sorry. Anyway, I believe John, I believe Paul made the right call with John Mark. And you could argue for Barnabas' side, but it was all meant to be the way it played out. We also know that Paul made a sound judgment in choosing this guy named Silas to, to accompany him on the mission field. Why do we know that? Because Silas was a tremendous missionary. He was a tremendous servant of the Lord. He would go on to be a great leader in the church. That same wisdom was put to use with this young man named Timothy. Timothy. What do we know about Timothy? Timothy would go on to be Paul's right-hand man. Paul would call Timothy his true son in the faith. Why did he call him that? Well, many believe that Timothy and his mother and grandmother were converted during Paul's first missionary journey in Lystra. Timothy would, would be Paul's mentee. Paul would pour into the life of this young man named Timothy. In fact, Paul would, would be the one that would delegate uh, Timothy to lead and pastor the church known as Ephesus. And because of this special relationship, because Paul saw something good in this young man, Timothy, we have these beautiful pastoral letters in Scripture, 1st and 2nd Timothy. 
that provides us a framework for what we do here as a church. Timothy not only has letters addressed to him, but he was also the co-sender of six other letters in Scripture. He was such a right-hand man to Paul. If you go to, the, go to these letters later on, go look at them later, you'll see Timothy's name uh, in the, the sending line at the very beginning. We see his name mentioned in 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. Folks, I believe it's safe to say Paul knew how to pick personnel. He knew how to make wise judgments when it came to people. With all this being said, Paul displayed great discernment in choosing Timothy to accompany him. But what was this decision based on? How how did he come to this conclusion? Look at verse 2. Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. In other words, keep it simple, Timothy had a good reputation in the church. He had a good reputation, not just in his town, but also the surrounding town, amongst the brothers, amongst the church. And and that is what I believe Paul based this decision on, plus getting to know him personally. But some of you are probably saying, Pastor, that doesn't sound that spiritual. That sounds like common sense. Newsflash. God uses common sense to get a lot of good things done. And that's what we're missing in the world today, and I believe that's what we're missing in the church today. If you're looking for something spiritual, I'm going to tell you something spiritual. We need some common sense. And God used that. We also know that this this choosing based on a reputation was biblical throughout the scriptures, throughout the wisdom literature. There's something about having a good name. Proverbs 22, verse 1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1, it says, a good name is better than precious ointment. When it came to choosing the first deacons back in Acts chapter 6, they put this same wisdom to use. They looked for men with a good, godly reputation. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. A person's reputation speaks volumes. A person's reputation is something that we should pay attention to, especially when that reputation comes and is within the church. We should pay careful attention to such things. Likewise, we must pay careful attention when someone has a bad reputation. Now, let me, let me just be clear. I'm not saying that we shun somebody because they had a bad reputation. Everybody in this room has probably had a bad reputation, especially if everybody knew the baggage you were hiding. Okay? But I'm not saying we shun somebody because of a bad reputation. Everyone needs God's grace. Everyone needs God's forgiveness. Let me tell you something. If somebody comes along with a bad reputation, you better be wise. And you better be cautious of how you walk around them. Jesus gave us this wisdom. He told his disciples to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You are not to be a gullible follower of Jesus. You're to be wise and cautious. Wise as a serpent. Innocent as doves. 
Students, I'm looking at you right now because I'm, I'm just thinking of my own personal testimony. This is applicable to everyone in this room today, no matter what season of life you're in. But if someone, especially your mom and your dad, tell you not to hang out with somebody, they tell you not to go around a certain person, and I'm sharing this wisdom with you today because I didn't listen to that advice, and it can come and bite you. When your parents tell you to stay away from a certain person, there is some wisdom in that advice. And this goes to everybody in the room today. You are the company you keep. I don't know about you, but I want to be godly. So I want to keep godly company. But there's great wisdom in that. So I want to say this. Use common sense and treasure a good name. That may not sound super spiritual, but folks, that is spiritual discernment. That is spiritual discernment. Next, we see number two, uh, discernment and practice. And what I mean by that is that Paul exercised uh, wisdom and discernment when it came to making key decisions on the, on the mission field. He knew how to practice discernment in all these different situations they would face. We see this in the case of Timothy. He wanted Timothy to accompany him, but Timothy had to go through this procedure known as circumcision. Look at verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, going back to the Jerusalem Council, the Jerusalem Council affirmed that things, rituals such as circumcision, were not required in the matter of salvation. We are saved by grace alone. But this situation with Timothy had nothing to do with salvation. But it had everything to do with cultural sensitivity. Timothy, he was a half Jew and half Greek. But he still had Jewish roots and Jewish heritage. For him not to move forward with circumcision would be a rejection of his Jewish heritage. And his Jewish ancestry. This would have been a barrier for him as he ministered amongst other Jews. This would have been an obstacle for him to, to serve in certain places. But let me say this. This decision about circumcision was not universal. To, to, to join Paul's gang, it, it, not everybody had to be circumcised. And I know that is a weird concept, subject to speak about in American life 2024. Uh, that's what Sunday school's for, okay? All right? Um, I'm not going to get into that today. But Paul did not circumcise Titus. He didn't require circumcision for the case of Titus. And we see that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. Why is that? Because Titus was a Greek. There was no question about Titus because he didn't have mixed ancestry. He, he wouldn't have to answer the Jew question when he was ministering. So that's why Paul did not require that. But in the case of Timothy, Paul knew this was the right decision because he didn't want anything getting in the way of the gospel. As they were serving on the mission field, he didn't want the subject of circumcision with Timothy to get in the way of their preaching and their serving. He wanted the main topic not to be Timothy. He wanted the main focus to be Jesus. That is spiritual discernment. Paul 
took away the potential obstacle in the life of this young man. It's a great example of spiritual discernment, and it proved to be the right call. We know this because after they make this decision, they go and serve the churches, and they share all the good news of the Jerusalem Council. The church was strengthened, and the church grew daily. We didn't hear about murmuring over Timothy. We didn't hear murmuring over this issue of circumcision. They were able to serve the Lord because they kept the main thing the main thing. This story makes me think of one of my, my first preaching opportunities, which took place at my grandparents' church. It's the church I was baptized in, in Thompson, Georgia. But when I was invited to, to preach in this church, they knew I was in seminary. They knew I was... I wasn't serving in a church, and word got out, and they said, hey, will you come and, come and preach? And at the time, this is after the Navy, by the way, I'd kind of grown my hair out a little bit, and I grew what I like to call a righteous beard. Um, when I say I grew my hair, I didn't have a ponytail or anything. I was just, I looked like Grizzly Adams. I mean, uh, somebody would probably say you look like the Unabomber, Pastor. Um, <laughs> But what I thought looked good at the time, which if I grow a beard one day, don't, don't be hating, okay? All right? What I thought looked good at the time, my granddad didn't think so. And my granddad, why, don't, why am I talking about him? He was a representative of that church. He, he knew the culture of that church. He knew that if his grandson showed up on that Sunday morning having shaggy hair and a beard with a Bible in his hand, nobody was going to be listening to the preacher that day. But everybody was going to be staring at that haircut, and everybody was going to be staring at that beard. So he naturally told me, son, I want you to get a haircut, and I want you to shave before you come and preach at our church. I'll be honest with you, I was offended. I was ticked off. I was like, I don't want to shave. It took forever to grow this thing. I, I don't want to shave, and I don't want to get a haircut. Now, I don't have a problem with that today. You, you notice that, right? It's low maintenance. But I started thinking about it. And once again, this was one of my first preaching opportunities on a Sunday morning in a church. And I, I thought about it some more, and I prayed about it, and I struggled with it. And I thought to myself, listen, I, I don't want to mess this up. And when those people go home after church that day, I don't want them going home talking about the guy with the shaggy hair and the beard. But I want them going home talking about Jesus, who ironically had shaggy hair and a beard. Okay? But I exercised discernment in that situation, and it proved well. In fact, everybody's like, nice haircut. I share that illustration not to say that when we come to certain situations, you're supposed to abandon or change yourself. We're supposed to be ourselves. But there do come situations, especially in ministry, especially on the mission field, where we have to be sensitive to other people and other cultures. And I've seen people do it the other way, saying, man, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. They can just get over it. Well, that's an obstacle you're willing to face. But here, in the case of Timothy, Paul, did, Paul just didn't want that being an obstacle. He said, that's not going to be the main thing. The main thing of our mission is going to be Jesus. So I commend Timothy, this young man, undergoing that painful, painful procedure 
so he wouldn't be an obstacle. That is spiritual discernment. Finally, we see number three, discernment in places. In places. Look at, in verse 6, we see that Paul had intentions to go to Asia Minor. That's not the continent of Asia that we know today, but it would be modern-day Turkey. And this region included uh, churches that we know about today through Scripture, the, the church of Ephesus, the church of Colossae. Uh, Paul would later successfully go to serve in those places. However, the Holy Spirit said the time is not right. The time is not right for you to go to those places. So the Holy Spirit forbidden them from going into that region. Since they couldn't go there, uh, the next conclusion was, okay, well, if we can't go to Asia, let's go north to Bithynia. But it says the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go there either. I don't know how this played out. I don't know if the Spirit of God uh, audibly spoke to Paul. I don't know if he just had a, a, an absence of peace within his heart as they were navigating through these different places. Uh, perhaps they, they had struggle after struggle, which they were uh, perfectly acquainted with, but maybe they received great hostility or, or illness that prevented them from going to these, these places. Scripture is silent. We, we just don't know. But this is what we do know. The Holy Spirit was calling the shots. And this mission team was listening and being led by the Spirit. That is the main thing. This ultimately led the men to Troas, which is on the coast of the Aegean Sea. In other words, these men, they couldn't go north. They couldn't go to, to Asia Minor. So they just kept going, going, going west until they're like Forrest Gump. They're like, well, we made it this far. <laughs> and it was just water. And he was like, what, what's up with that, God? We, we, we've done what you've told us to do. We've kept going and going and going. Now we are here at the coast. There's nowhere to go but water. This is a dead end, Lord. Charles Swindoll, he says this. When you're following the plan of God, dead ends are never mistakes. This was certainly the case for Paul and his mission team. Once they were here at the, the coast in Troas, in the night, Paul was given a vision by God. And we see that in verses 9 through 10. Let's look at those verses together. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So far in the book of Acts, we've seen other men have visions from the Lord. Going back, we can look at Ananias, who was told to go and speak to Brother Paul. Uh, we've seen Peter uh, receiving the vision to go to Cornelius. We've, we've seen Cornelius receiving a vision that he was expecting good news to come his way. In all of those instances, God was telling these men either what to do or where to go. This was the case for Paul. Paul, think about this, this great leader who, who has already had a successful missionary journey the first time. He's got these young cats that are following him, and, and they're just like, where, where are we? Where are we going? There's nothing here, Paul. What are we supposed to do? But Paul was obedient to go where the Lord was leading him, and the Lord gave him this vision. He received a vision of a man from Macedonia. How he knew it was Macedonia, I have no idea. But he received a vision from this man of Macedonia saying, Help, come over 
here. What is Macedonia? Macedonia is Europe. This is what we know as modern-day Europe. This included the regions of uh, Philippi and Thessalonica. And we know that God planted churches there because we have letters designated these churches in our Bibles today that still speak truth to us here and now. Paul walked in the Spirit. Paul lived in the Spirit. And he allowed the Spirit to lead him in these different experiences. This didn't just come from a vision in the night either. We, we see later it says he concluded they were supposed to go and preach the gospel there. So you know what they were probably concluding? Well, we couldn't go there. We couldn't go here. Paul, you just had this vision. I think the Lord is telling us we need to go to Macedonia. So he put all those things together. He took all those things into account to discern God's direction for their journey. So what, pastor? What's the application for us today? Here's the application. Closed doors are a gift from God. Closed doors are a gift from God because every closed door that you have is eventually leading you to an open door. We may have to wait. We may be burdened. We may be stressed. We may be frustrated. But we must be aware of God's purposes in those moments and in those seasons. I had many doors closed on me while I was trying to, to actively find a place to, to serve the Lord, uh, going on different interviews here and there. And, and God would close that door. And I tell you, I got so frustrated. I even told Kristen uh, sometimes, I said, I don't, am I really called? Lord, why are you, I thought you've called me to serve you. Why are you closing all these doors? And I had a good mentor in ministry. His name's Jerry Dockery. And uh, he, I got to serve with him for an internship. And he gave me some godly wisdom. He said, Malone. He said, hold on. God loves you. And he's closing all those doors because he loves you. And he said, you keep holding on. And the right door is going to open at the right time. And I mean, he was just being a sweet pastor. But man, that was some godly counsel at the time. To know that all these closed doors weren't rejections, but these closed doors were getting to me where I needed to be. And I'm so thankful that God opened the door here at West Acres. <laughs> when you have Larry Harmon in the audience looking at him while we were singing, I was just like, oh, man, I'm, I'm glad you're here, but man, you tear me up sometimes being here. Because... We are great. Hey, hey, thank you. Um, so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful all those doors closed where I got to serve with Pastor Larry. I'm so blessed. We had four funerals this week. While I was there, guess what? I didn't have to preach all of them because we had this guy there, which is a blessing. Um, so thankful for closed doors. You'd be thankful for closed doors. You'd be thankful when God closes a door on a job. Young person, you'd be thankful when God closes a door on a relationship. You'd be thankful when God closes a door on, on that, that potential spouse, you know? Because when he's saying no there, he's saying, listen, I've got something way better in mind for you. 
That's the application. So don't sit there and cry and have a pity party over your closed door. You praise God. Thank you, Lord, for that closed door. But just give me some patience for that open door, Lord. Give me some patience. This requires spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment. Very quickly, before we close, I want you to notice the plural pronoun we and us in verse 10. Some of you are like, so what? There's a, there's a pronoun, of, a plural pronoun of we and us. But what is it? If you were reading with me closely, it kind of just comes in out of nowhere. You're like, what? Is this a typo? Does my Bible have this messed up? No, it's not a typo. But this use of the plural pronoun we and us that comes out of nowhere is so strategic because it lets us know that the narrator, the writer of this story, Luke, is no longer telling the story. He's in the story now. He's in the story. So what does that mean? That means this mission team has just gotten better. This mission team has Paul. It has Silas. It has Timothy. It has Luke, the physician. What a mission team God was using to go to Europe. Praise God for these men. Praise God for those closed doors. Why is that so good for us today here in America? It's because of their mission work in Europe that we have a gospel presence here today in the United States. Folks, all of the dots connect. Praise God for closed doors and praise God for these men of God that knew how to discern His perfect will. May we seek his perfect will and wisdom in our lives. May we be men and women who have spiritual discernment. And just going back, how do we get that? Pastor, how can I have this type of discernment? Well, the first thing you need to do is seek God's word. It'd be funny. It's just amazing. Somebody's like, I don't know God's will for my life. I don't know God's will for my... You know how many times, just in the New Testament, it says, this is God's will. This is God's will. You'd be amazed if you just went with a highlighter and just found how many times God's will is right there in black and white. Another way you seek this spiritual discernment is praying. God's word says, he who lacks wisdom, pray, seek this wisdom. He'll give it to you for all the different situations we have to face. And here's one we didn't really go into this week. Let's don't forget about godly counsel. That's what the body of Christ is here for. When you have these different situations, I mean, you, let me tell you, you are not wise if you try to answer things on your own. It is godly and it is spiritual to give a brother or give a sister a call and say, what would you do? What would you do? What do you think of this situation? All of these are tools used to have spiritual discernment. May West Acres Baptist Church be a church that is filled with men and women who are wise and discerning. And may that discernment serve us well as we live for the Lord Jesus and as we serve Him in His church. May God lead us, may God shape us, and may God grow us. Let's pray.